0: Questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: From lead pipes in Flint, Michigan, to a duplicitous water commission in Medford, Oregon, to a secret psychiatric ward at UCLA, to the elegant halls of the Palais de Nation in Geneva, Switzerland. Tonight's special guests relentlessly details. The U.S. government's indifference to the welfare of individuals and to its legal obligations under national and international accords, prohibiting human experimentation and biological and chemical weapons. We'll discuss the shocking machinations executed at the highest and lowest levels of power, pointing towards a pandemic of as yet unrealized proportions.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, Welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, EMP Shield, solar, and EMP protection, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelric.
1: Janet Phelan has been on the trail of the biological weapons agenda since the new millennium. She is the author of At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic. Her articles on this issue have appeared in activist post, New Eastern Outlook, Infowars and elsewhere. Educated at Grinnell College, UC Berkeley and the University of Missouri, Graduate School of Journalism, Janet, quote unquote, jumped ship and since 2004 has been writing exclusively for independent media in many large-scale publications. She is the author of the groundbreaking exposé, Exile, and two books of poetry. And she joins us directly from Chiapas, Mexico, in the southern part of Mexico. Janet Phelan, welcome to Veritas. How are you?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm actually thrilled to be here.
1: Thank you. I am as well, Janet The main focus of this interview will be about your new book. But I think it's imperative that we give the listeners an overview of your background and and your story. I know you also wrote a book titled Exile, which, by the way, I also want to read. You were forced to flee the U.S. And for the past 15 years, your journalism has focused on the pending pandemic. The who, what, where, when, and how of the pending pandemic. And I say pending because you've predicted this since after September 2001. Let's begin with this.
2: Yes. Well, um, certain things, shall we say, came dramatically to my attention after the events of September 11th. Uh, Well, as we know, uh, those events included not only the attack on the World Trade Center, but subsequently uh, the anthrax mailings, which came to be called Amerithrax, and uh, it, it it is that particular thread that I started to follow. As we know, uh, following the events of of September and October two thousand and one, the the U.S. Congress rushed to pass a uh, a a big bill called the USA Patriot Act which many congressmen confessed to not even reading, there's been a lot of attention paid to the surveillance uh, authorities in the USA Patriot Act and a lot of efforts to to address the increasing surveillance and lack of privacy that Americans now have because of the USA Patriot Act. But interestingly enough, almost no attention was paid to a particular section uh, which, as far as I can see, uh, is where this bioweapons rabbit hole kind of started for me. And that would be Section 817, which is the expansion of the biological weapons statute. And in that section, in the USA Patriot Act, the U.S. gave itself immunity from violating its own biological weapons laws. I believe the exact verbiage is the prohibitions contained in this section shall not apply to any duly authorized U.S. governmental activity. So while we mere mortals were uh, barred from possessing, deploying, developing, uh, all kinds of things around biological weapons, the U.S., gave itself a free reign to do so. Now, the question would be, what does that mean? I mean, what are the implications of this? Because as a matter of fact, the U.S. is party to an international treaty which is called the Biological Weapons Convention. And that treaty prohibits member states from developing, stockpiling, deploying biological weapons. So one could be concerned that by passing this domestic legislation, the US has essentially thumbed its nose and in fact violated the international treaty. Um, Now I'm gonna go into in a moment uh, what I found out about the U.S. and the treaty and so forth. But I wanted to give you a second if you had any questions at this point in time.
1: Well, no, you traveled to Geneva, Switzerland. What happened during that trip and were you heard? Mm.
2: Well, um, I traveled to Geneva, Switzerland twice, in 2011 and in 2016. And I attended and participated in the Biological Weapons Convention on both occasions. Um, I went as an NGO rather than as media because as an NGO I do have the opportunity to engage the convention to make a presentation. If you go as media you're essentially you've got duct tape over your face and you can't say a word. So um, it was very interesting to me what I found out uh, by attending that convention. First of all, um, the U.S. is bound by what is called a politically binding agreement, which is part of the Biological Weapons Convention, which I'm going to be calling the BWC for uh, brevity's sake, uh, it is bound to report any changes in law, any bioweapons activities, but specifically any changes in law uh, that occur within within the country. Right. So the, the first question I had was, did the U.S. report this rather alarming Section 817 to the dimension at large? Uh, as it turned out, it did not. Um, according to the delegate that I spoke with about this, and I discovered that this report had never been made. Um, His name was Chris Park, and he said, well, you know, it was an oversight we forgot to. Well, you know, we all make mistakes, and we can certainly understand that. But a little later in the convention, I found out it wasn't a mistake at all. I was sitting in a side event, uh, which took place during the lunch hour, that was hosted by the United States and one of their speakers, a Dr. Daniel Gerstein, did a PowerPoint presentation to the individuals, the delegates and so forth that were in this side event, uh, showing them what uh, vital and vibrant uh, biological weapons laws the U.S. uh, had on their books. Well, Gerstein showed the old law, not the one that was amended by 817, not the one where the US gave itself permission to essentially violate the convention, to develop, stockpile, deploy biological weapons. So at that point, I began to realize that the US was essentially lying to the convention. Was I heard? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I was heard specifically on my second presentation, which was in 2016. The first time I think I was something of a newbie and, uh, you know, was doing the best I could. But I had learned a lot by my 2011 experience In 2016 I presented again uh, during the NGO presentations and uh, uh, was immediately approached uh, by a reporter from the Russian news giant, TASS, who subsequently interviewed me and and ran a big spread in Russia about my particular concerns and presentation. Furthermore, I was approached by a number of delegates uh, to the convention who were expressing alarm at the information that I uh, conveyed, which had to do with the U.S.'s violations of the treaty. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the media gallery was also full of other reporters from the Associated Press and Reuters and people who whose work would be read in the U.S., and none of them said a word. So that's kind of uh, a reflection, I think, of the times we're in.
1: I'm curious, since you've researched the U.S. bioweapons program, and a lot of people might think that this is something rather new, just a few decades. But no, it's over over a hundred years. Did you look into the origin? Did you ever look into the origins of the Spanish flu?
2: Um, you know, I've I've run into uh, some concerns about that, but the answer is no. I think I, I sort of took that as as something that was probably, um, you know, a bona fide, naturally occurring incident. And, and I didn't look any further than that.
1: That deserves its own investigation and its own uh, interview because with what I've been told, it was created in the United States. But the only reason why it's called the Spanish flu is because Spain was neutral during World War I. It was the only country with a free press when the other countries were just uh, keeping it quiet to avoid the enemy knowing how many casualties they had. But anyway, that's for a different interview. Is the U.S. ignoring the Nuremberg Code by continuing to evade the mandates of informed consent, Janet?
2: Well, this is something I think that has concerned a lot of people. And uh, appears that the answer is that it certainly is. And is doing so on a number of different issues. Um, we're all watching with some interest um, uh, the, the progress of Biden's insistence, mandates that people have to get vaccinated if they work for the federal government, if they work for contracting companies. Um, I do understand that the Fifth Circuit Court has uh, has said that this is illegal as of today. Uh, I received a notification that OSHA has also uh, said that they will not enforce this mandate. Um, So that's one issue. But the U.S. has has a history now of ignoring the mandates for informed consent in a number of different sort of uh, venues. Uh, For example, well, we all know about the Church and Pike hearings of the 1970s and MKUltra and and how, you know, this was supposed to have sort of cleaned house so that the CIA would not be running uh, experiments on people anymore. But this appears to the, the experiments... Appear to have gone underground. And I want to s- specifically mention uh, a situation at UCLA, their neuropsychiatric institute, uh, which did have a human experimentation ward r- up and running at least until around 2000. It's very hard to get data about this because. UCLA has taken the absolutely extreme and bizarre uh, stance that, well, A South never existed. We don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't matter how much uh, information, links, uh, whatever you send UCLA to show them that A South certainly did exist, they have basically gone into a sort of a tailspin of denial. Now, what they were doing on A South, which was populated in terms of its client base, its patient base, was solely at the time of the concerns, when the concerns began to put uh, evidence about it, were solely welfare patients, okay? Uh, none of the Hollywood stars were on A South. Um, nobody, It was. it was basically... Uh, they had a they had a patient population that could be considered um, more disadvantaged than people who were uh, receiving um, regular insurance who maybe had, had an incident but were going back to work. These were people who were very often considered permanently disabled. And what they were doing is they were doing brain electricity experiments. And they ran. They they basically evidenced in a couple of ways. They they were shocking people. They were giving people electroshock far in excess of um, <clears throat> what is recommended <clears throat> for these procedures, which are considered you know questionable anyway. But they also had a stash of quote unquote medication which would produce seizure activity in the patients. And um, in terms of whatever I was able to glean about this unit, um, there was no informed consent. And in fact, when patients began to object to being uh, treated uh, with c- convulsive therapy, they were told to just shut up and that the, 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 the therapy Therapy. I'm using the word loosely. Was uh, not going to be terminated, nor would they be um, released from the hospital. This is not a good situation. Now, I was able to find. Um, so I was not able to find the funding for a South because it is my understanding that it could very well have been funded through some sort of federal mechanism. Uh, I don't think that the residents uh, at UCLA, the psychiatric residents, were necessarily that eager to hurt people, Um, but this is what they were doing on this unit. Uh, I I found the name of the unit head. Also, there was a, um, a resident named Derek Ott who went on to become a psychiatrist in Los Angeles and at one point was uh, hauled in front of the psychiatric board for for basically inaction that resulted in the patient death, which they exonerated him for. Um, so they were, they were running brain electricity experiments on ASAP. And frankly, if they were doing this at UCLA, I would bet my bottom dollar they were doing this in other hospitals as
1: well. Sounds MKUltra-ish, but we'll discuss MKUltra throughout the interview. Now, let's talk about the Biological Weapons Convention for a moment. Unlike the Nuclear Weapons Convention, the Biological Convention's treaty, there is no verification protocol. So how do we know if the signatories are in fact abiding by its dictates, Janet?
2: oh, well, you know, what they what they say is, well, trust us. You know, we report to you, we report, um, we self-report. They have something called confidence-building measures. And with the confidence-building measures, they are, oops, did I lose you?
1: No, I'm here, know. I'm here. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Okay, just yep. something
2: real funny happened on my screen. Okay, so uh, confidence-building measures are have taken the place of any sort of verification or enforcement protocol with the BWC, and a confidence-building measure is, for an example, like when the U.S. was mandated to report changes, changes in its legislation, and didn't do so. That's a confidence-building measure. The fox is supposed to report on its own activities in the henhouse. And that is uh, that. It, that takes the place of verification. Now, interestingly enough, uh, because most most arms treaties do have some way of figuring out if the countries are compliant and enforcing the mandates of the treaty, but in the case of the BWC, it was originally constructed without any sort of way to check on what countries were doing. And uh, this became of grave concern to a number of the uh, state parties to the convention. So in 2001, they had hammered out a verification protocol, and this was presented to the convention at large. And the reason it did not pass was that the entire U.S. delegation, led by U.N. Ambassador John Bolton, got up and walked out. They boycotted the, 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 the protocol, and that was it, because the U.S. has enormous uh, standing and weight in these conventions, and as the quote-unquote leader of the free world, uh, you know, what they say very often just goes. So that was in May of 2001, you know, a scant few months before the events of September 11th and the subsequent anthrax attacks. And one can only wonder if, it, if if there was a possibility that if there was a verification protocol in place, if it hadn't been boycotted by the U.S., if possibly uh, the U.N. could have sent some investigators to the U.S. to figure out where that anthrax came from and who sent it.
1: Why do you think the U.S. boycotted the protocol only months before the attacks of 9-11 and subsequent the anthrax attacks?
2: Well, you know, it appears from the kind of statements made by John Bolton and also by Hillary Clinton, uh, who addressed the convention in 2011 and reiterated how important it was that nobody even think about a verification protocol. Um, The statements are made like an unaccountable uh, international community, uh, concerns about, well, people go snooping into our labs, they'll they'll steal our patents. Um, You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of accusations and concerns that are being... um, that are being bandied about. Uh, Hillary Clinton seemed to think that these confidence-building measures uh, were 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 sufficient. Uh, the fact is that the U.S. isn't the only state that isn't reporting things in the confidence-building measures. They have a very low rate of uh, of acquiescence of compliance with these CBMs, uh, and it's you know it's it's kind of a joke. I mean, trust us, you know, we'll just write something down. Trust us.
1: Well, there's just a small number of, I'm thinking of what happened in Wuhan. There's only a small portion of level four biosafety labs around the world. Uh, There are 1,350 level three research labs in the U.S. alone. And a USA Today article from 2014 reports U.S. labs mishandled dangerous biomaterials at least 1,100 times between 2008 and 2012 and these are only reported numbers. What do you think the consequence of these so-called mishaps are?
2: Well, um, th- there is a researcher at Rutgers University who has um, his name escapes me at the moment that's terrible but he has um he has come forward stating that there's probably three or four uh, leaks, mishaps a week with these biosafety labs. That's an awful lot of, uh, of errors and one could certainly understand uh, and accept that, su- that one of these errors might very well have produced uh, the sort of, if there was a leak, if it was a leak in Wuhan, that one of these errors, you know, could have produced this uh, this pandemic,
1: right? Well, you say that the U.S. has amended its biological weapons legislation via Section 817 of the, and by the way, I'm just quoting a lot from your book because I just finished it reading and had tons of notes here and I want to extrapolate as much, as much as we can. Uh, so via Section 817 of the U.S. Patriot Act, and is now given its own agents immunity from prosecution for violating the law. And the U.S. has failed to report this change in legislation to the, w, the BWC, and it is mandated to do it in a politically binding agreement. Please sure. help me make sense of this.
2: Well, um, the U.S., Forgive me for saying so, but the U.S. is essentially thumbing its nose at its at its obligations under international law. Um, we see that especially uh, in the Biological Weapons Convention, but unfortunately we also see it in other arms treaties. For example, the, in the Chemical Weapons Convention, the U.S. was... Uh, instructed, all all state parties were instructed to destroy their chemical weapons reserves. Um, gosh, um, don't have the figure right in front of me, but it was a, a good 15, 20 years ago. And the U.S., good uh, golly gee whiz, we, we just weren't able to do that. So they are given an, ex, an extension. They missed the next extension. Sorry, we just weren't able to do it. So, you know, here we are in 2021 and the U.S. still has chemical weapons uh, reserves that is, you know, completely in violation of of what the treaty that they signed said that they were to do, which was to destroy their weapons. So um, we have a lot of problems with the U.S. um, Engaging honestly and forthrightly with these international arms treaties.
1: You know, and I don't like to spread fear, just awareness. Last year, I was made aware of the Marburg virus. You probably heard about that. Uh-huh. If the elite are making millions of dollars per day on the COVID stinger, they've also had two years to perfect their new business model, which now includes the young when it comes to many health conditions that traditionally afflict the elderly. And the following is just my opinion. I found it interesting, Janet, that in the history of the United States as a country, we've always been at war, most of the time. But the last four years, we're we're pretty quiet. I thought to myself, what are they concocting? If it's not the military industrial complex making money, the same owners own other industries, big pharma being one of them. And that's exactly what happened. They switched the resources into a pandemic or plandemic. The result is almost the same as war. A reduction of the population, more societal controls, and unlimited profit potential. Do you think they'll create another designer virus soon?
2: Well, you know, this is an interesting question. Um, I think that uh, from how I read things... From my perch here, um, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And and please let me remind the listening audience that this is a purported illness that has, uh, generally speaking, a less than 1% case fatality rate. So it's not like the plague. You know, it's not like uh, some of the other illness is, well, the Spanish flu, you know, people just don't die very much from it, but they're, they're getting a lot of mileage out of it. So, uh, and it does seem to me that um, there seem well, it seems that there's there's some sort of, of effort now to um, use Plaus- plausible deniability, in order to uh, attack and and destroy certain populations. Um, we also I want to make a sort of a side note here, because we also see this plausible deniability, for example, in uh, in the U.S. courts, in the uh, adult guardianship programs. Uh, which have to be authorized and overseen by courts. Now, in an adult guardianship, generally speaking, um, you have a population that is either elderly or disabled. Those are the kinds of people that qualify for um, adult guardianships, sort of like Hitler's useless eaters, right? And what's happening to people under these guardianships, is absolutely atrocious. Now, the the world is paying a little more attention to this now because of Britney Spears, who is uh, young, beautiful, uh, certainly able to work, and and very talented. Um, she's almost become sort of a poster girl for. Uh, the concerns about guardianship and what can happen to people, but what can actually happen to people is uh, is is even worse than what Britney Spears is experiencing. What we're seeing in these cases is that uh, people who are under the guardianship—let's say you have an older person—they're um, blocked from their family. The uh, guardian. Uh, forcibly takes them and puts them into a facility, uh, issues restraining orders against the family, and runs through the money in, in, in no time flat. And then the older person, because they can't really, they're, they're not useful anymore, there's no more money, uh, they they tend to die very quickly. And some of these deaths, uh, I've researched a number of these cases And some of these deaths, many of these deaths are entirely preventable. For example, uh, Elizabeth Fairbanks, who was under an adult guardianship in San Bernardino County, California, uh, died of a treatable illness, which was pneumonia, because her guardian decided that it was time for Elizabeth Fairbanks to meet her maker and did not approve antibiotics for a woman who had pneumonia. Now, to me, that that kind of the M word kind of starts to to pop up. You know, manslaughter, murder. Um, unfortunately, her situation is hardly unique. So um, we have courts. I'm going to say this, and I'm just going to say it upfront and clearly. We have courts that are actually killing off older people, t- taking their money and killing them off. So this is under the plausible deniability of, well, adult guardianships are just simply to help the elderly, right? That's the plausible deniability there. The plausible deniability with the coronavirus is we have a public health emergency. We have to do these things, uh, which may end up actually making things quite a bit worse. So,
1: just wonder how many people just realize how much gaslighting is taking place. And speaking of plausible deniability, now they're blaming heart conditions in children to marijuana use and get this climate change. I wonder how many people believe this.
2: You know, I, I haven't seen
1: that yet.
2: And I'm, I'm sort of stunned, but I'm also kind of stunned at, at how a lot of people are simply blindly and obediently uh, 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 following whatever it is Fauci says, whatever it is Biden says, you know, that they just obey. There seems to be some sort of character, uh, personality difference in people uh, where some people, the most people will simply uh, obey whatever the white coats say. And there seems to be a quite a bit smaller number who go. Wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. So it, it seems to me the line is being drawn, you know, with people. Right? Some people ask questions, and some people don't want to ask questions. It's it's too confusing, you know. They say wear a mask. They say wear five masks. They say don't wear a mask. You know, whatever you tell me, I'll do it. Right. So
1: here in the United States, we have such a contrast between states and even cities within a state. Let's take California versus Florida. And I recently returned from a vacation in Mexico City, and I was really, really surprised to see the amount of compliance down there. I mean, we're talking about joggers everywhere, jogging with masks on, people just walking the streets with a sunny day, wearing masks, going to the, the folkloric ballet with hundreds of of, of, of talent uh, dancing. All of them were a mess. I'm not talking about the audience only, but the actual uh, talent, the subjects in the, in the play, if you will. So uh, I wonder, is this happening in Mexico too? I go to Mexico at least once a month to different parts. And are there parts of Mexico where people say, <laughs> enough gaslighting with us?
2: Well, um, what I've noticed is here in Chiapas, uh, we have virtually no restrictions, um, and that is uh, due, I believe, to the stance that many communities in Chiapas have made, saying we're, we're not going to be vaccinated, you know, take a hike. So um, I haven't checked the figures recently, but I know a couple months ago that vaccination rate here was like 19%. People just don't want it. And uh, due to that, um, a lot of um, people from other countries are actually um, escaping into Chiapas. They call themselves COVID refugees.
1: Refugees.
2: Um, yeah, COVID refugees, people who do not want to be, you know, locked down, locked up, uh, forcibly jabbed in, in many countries in Europe and U.S., they're Canadians here as well, because it seems that there certainly is a bubble of freedom here.
1: Certainly. Uh,
2: y- Chiapas, I would like to mention, um, is considered the poorest state in Mexico, but it is also has a history of political rebellion. The Zapatista movement took place right. in Chiapas, and um, people tend, I think, to have a little
1: more political consciousness here. More sovereignty. Now, you mentioned a company with the name of Inovio, I believe, or Inovio, okay. which is working on a universal flu vaccine and has also developed DNA vaccines, which use the broken DNA of viruses rather than the viruses themselves. Inovio is also pioneering the use of electroportation like a poration, like a poration on its vaccines delivery systems. This utilizes small pulses to open cell membranes for milliseconds, allowing strands of a virus broken DNA to end the viruses, broken DNA to enter the cell. Inovio has received $28 billion in funding over the past 24 months from the NIH. Tell us more.
2: Oh, well, you know, it's getting sort of interesting uh to, to, to figure out are these com- are these companies actually private companies or are they simply sort of uh, an extension of the federal government? because that these companies, which are supposedly private pharmaceutical companies are getting so much funding. Um, it, it gets more difficult to try to figure out um, what their actual status is um, emergent, was it Emergent BioSolutions, it was originally BioPort um, was uh, the uh, company that created the original anthrax vaccine that was given to so many troops, which was later considered to very possibly have caused Gulf War Syndrome and uh, other sort of diseases. and uh, so, you know, emergent biosolutions is now sort of like uh, um, almost the the the, uh, the the fair-haired child in terms of the kind of funding it is getting, uh, the kind of uh, of. Uh, attention that it's getting uh, I mean how does one how does one actually um, determine how does one call a company a private company when they are almost entirely funded by the federal government and I mean how does how does that actually work it doesn't even make any sense to me you know?
1: And what a great way to hide between the corporate veil and something I didn't know. I was research, researching today while reading your book. And, you know, these companies, they don't have to live under the FOIA. The FOIA does not apply yeah. to private companies. And mm-hmm. I also didn't know this persons who receive federal contracts or grants, private organizations, and here's the one that I didn't know, or state or local governments. I thought that they were part of FOIA, but it it's not federal; doesn't apply.
2: Uh, right. So, so FOIA tends to apply to you know federal agencies, and states states have uh, their own sort of FOIA system, version,
1: yeah.
2: Right, which are public records act requests, but it, since they're not since these heavily funded uh, private companies are not considered. To be part of state government, you you can't really get any information through that mechanism. And it does create certain kinds of problems in trying to figure out what in the world's going on because they don't have to tell you anything.
1: And we know, and sometimes when they respond, even if it's a federal agency, they can, you know, black out most of the documents. So it's whatever they think. We, they deem appropriate. Otherwise, they say, oop, due to national security concerns, we have to block all of this. But we know our food, air, and water have been contaminated and maybe even plagued with substances that make us sick. But can they weaponize, say, the food supply by genetically modifying it? And you say that, according to Randall Larson, Executive Director of the WMD Center, the Weapons of uh, Mass Destruction Center in Washington, D.C., the terrorist's next target may be your peanuts. Please explain.
2: Yeah. Um, I think Randall Larson was, uh, I think he was pulling our leg yeah, collectively. Um, I had a conversation with him several years ago, which did result in a chapter in the book in which he uh he was he was he wanted to tell me about how concerned he was about peanut production because he says you know the peanuts they're all common from one place but he couldn't remember whether it was north or south carolina i was so concerned but he doesn't even know where they're coming from but uh when i started to present to him some information concerning uh, another vector which has to do with water systems Man, he froze up so fast. He he didn't want to talk to you. Well, you saw the text message you sent to me. He, he didn't want to talk to me anymore. He was never, you know, I was I was untalkable too. and and that was he was terminating any contact with me. So you know, I think that there's, I think the people in the know, in many positions in government, certainly not all, but many, uh, I think they they like to send us in wild goose chases. And this, you know, beware of your skippy peanut butter, beware of, of you know, of, of the peanuts. I think he was just having, he was having a good time with us. And actually, uh, as we discussed at one point in the book, there certainly are concerns uh, that genetic weapons can be leaked into the food supply, and I give a an example having to do with um, the the work that was done in South Africa in a uh, – it was called Project Coast, and it was the biological weapons arm of the apartheid government, which was headed up by a man named Vujar Basan, and he was indeed uh, researching a blacks-only bioweapon now um he maintains he has been interviewed by um a wonderful reporter named uh, rob cohen about this and uh well first of all he doesn't really want to talk about it but then he, he 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 puts out this scenario yeah well we were trying to figure out how to sterilize the black population and and we didn't really do it so he he presents something he presents a red herring just as in effect, um, I believe Randall Larson did uh, with his, you know, beware of your of your peanuts, right? And so, he, in a sense, he, they send us all off on wild goose chases. I did some uh, I did some original research on Vooder-Bassan and what he was doing actually at Project Coast because I had received a tip off that indeed. He had developed a blacks-only bioweapon that it uh, it it was leaked into the food supply globally. That it attaches onto melanin, as we know, darker-skinned people have more melanin, uh, and it will produce the silent killers of diabetes and hypertension. Now, in order to support that. That hypothesis, I started looking at the reported incidence of diabetes and hi- hypertension uh, before Bud- uh was doing his his uh, black magic at, at Project Coast. And then afterwards, and lo and behold, uh, around the time that he was terminating his work at, with Project Coast, the rates of diabetes and hypertension worldwide began to Spike in people of color. Now, there are other sorts of uh, possible tributaries to this. You know, there's what they call the Coca Cola syndrome, uh, which you know, the people sugar, Coca Cola, sugar, right? So uh, one has to, you know, factor in other sorts of possibilities. What I found really interesting here is like if you look at Africa, because the rates of of these illnesses are now becoming top heavy in Africa, but if you look at groups that haven't moved to the city, that are uh, living tribally and close to the land, and therefore not eating processed food, and in addition to that, of course, not drinking Coca-Cola, you find that their rates are not increasing at all. So there does seem to be something going on with food and and where we get our food and drink from. So whether or not it is uh, this you know nefarious leaked into processed food and that's why we're getting all these darker skinned sick people, whether it is that, whether it is Coca-Cola, you know, I simply advanced the hypothesis that it was indeed a a
1: bioweapon. Let me, as you mentioned, I was going to discuss uh, Dr. Bassan later, but I'm thinking Ah. of of the many doctors that have been found dead under mysterious Mm -hmm. circumstances. I'm thinking of Dr. David Kelly. Uh, He worked with uh, Bassan for a while. By the way, Bassan, uh, he was subsequently charged with an assortment of crimes, including murder. And he skated Mm -hmm. on all the charges and is now a successful cardiologist in Durbanville, South Africa. And I just wanted to confirm that, and as of today, he is still practicing outside of uh, uh, Johannesburg, I believe. And then there's Dr. Larry Ford of Irvine, California, who died in 2001 of a shotgun blast that was ruled a suicide. You know, whenever I hear people dying from a shotgun blast, I'm not talking about a sold-out, uh, a cut-in-half uh, shotgun. It really, It's really questionable, but police found guns ammunition, and explosives when they dug up his yard. Cholera, botulinum, salmonella, and typhoid were also located in vials in his refrigerator. All told, 266, 266 bottles of and vials of lethal toxins were found in the fort home. And I could talk about so many other uh, biochemists, doctors, uh, you name it, that have been dying in the past decade what's your take on all of this
2: well actually the the number is massive and uh, i want to give a uh, a tip of the hat to steve quayle who was at least up at least up until 2016 he was recording uh these deaths on his website stevequayle.com and you've got hundreds of of these uh Scientists who are dying under uh, circumstances that could be considered rather suspicious. Um, David Kelly, I think, is one name that is known uh, uh, pretty widely. He was a uh, a weapons scientist with Porton Down, uh, which is the UK's bioweapons. research center Um, he was uh, known to have uh uh, visited uh met with vuder basan and others and he was also had some involvement in this whole iraqi situation you know the weapons of mass destruction that were never found uh in iraq um and at one point, uh, apparently David Kelly began to to reconsider, uh, to review what he was doing with his life, and he uh, was was known to be considering the option of writing a tell-all book. And there are recorded interviews with a number of people who were. Uh, urging David Kelly to to really think about this uh, pretty seriously because, you know, it it could be a dangerous thing to do. And then one day he took a walk in the woods and was later found dead um, under circumstances that could be considered very suspicious. And I'd like, again, to mention Rob Cohn's work, C-O-E-N, uh, he, he he put together a film called Anthrax Wars in which he goes into in some depth uh, what David Kelly was doing and, and some of the really questionable circumstances around his death but really there are hundreds of scientists who had some sort of connection to potentially bioweapons work who ended up dead in ways that Leave us scratching our heads.
1: What do you think? COVID nineteen was a pandemic, or a biological weapon attack? Could they be one and the same?
2: Well, see, this personally, I'm I'm not a medical professional, and I, I I'm sort of reluctant to to weigh in on questions of of science, um, but I will say that how would we know uh, if we're being subjected to a bioweapons attack, or if if this is simply a naturally occurring pandemic? We'd only know, most of us who don't, who lack the scientific skills and training, we know because of what the media tells us. And now, you know, we're finding that after denying this for, over a year now, it does. It has come to light that this gain-of-function research was going on at the Wuhan lab with coronaviruses. That it was being funded by the U.S. government. So it, it starts to alter the picture. We we're originally told that somebody ate a sick bat in Wuhan and, and subsequently, the whole world got sick. Right. Yeah, right. But it's beginning to look. As if once again we were uh, we were offered a red herring, you know, uh, a wild goose chase, something to to obsess about and write about that maybe had nothing to do with reality. Sick bat.
1: But one doesn't have to be a doctor or a rocket scientist to connect dots, for example. I received on a weekly basis dozens of, of messages from doctors not only from the United States, from around the world. And when you see commonalities, for example, they say in my 10, 15, 20 years as an ER doctor or urgent care or what have you or family practitioner, I have never seen so many children with pericarditis, myocarditis, heart inflammation, heart attacks. This has never happened before. It all happened in 2021. And when they say, well, it's because of their marijuana use, or it's because of climate change. If that's the case, or, or by oh, the, here's the other one, uh, monster drinks, the energy drinks. They're attributing it to that as well. How can people just not connect dots and say, what came, what changed? And the same thing happens with what I've been discussing with uh, Dr. Stephanie Senneth and others yeah, who have come to this program. She says by the year 2025, half of all children may be autistic. Their focus is mostly on glyphosate, better known as the Monsanto product Roundup. From 2001 to 2007, glyphosate use doubled. But also, there's a correlation with stingers. With that, what's your take on on when it comes to autism and what happens in the future? And do you think this could be planned to maybe control the population as the autism rates go up?
2: Well. You know, uh, I'm rather riveted by Dr. Stephanie Seneff's work. Um, Not only her work on autism, uh, she she had an article published in a medical journal, uh, science journal recently, suggesting that these mRNA vaccines for the coronavirus may indeed uh, uh, deliver prions and prions uh for those who who haven't delved into this aspect of of science um are what uh create what's called mad cow disease uh it basically turns your brain to mush and there's no known cure um and it was initially an article uh, suggesting this by, I believe, uh, a Dr. Klassen. He was heavily attacked. And then Stephanie Seneff came out, I believe in a peer-reviewed journal, basically making the same suggestions. Um, I find her to be quite remarkable um, and really quite brave. Uh, The the thing about autism, you know, it, it does, I mean, her, her concerns here, I think, uh, about Roundup and uh, and uh, the chema. Essentially, what she's saying is there are chemicals in our environment. She does focus on Roundup um, that are producing uh, an epidemic of neurological disorders in children, mostly evidencing as autism, and it's it seems. To be, you know, sort of a no-brainer to 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 accept that this massive sort of chemicalization of our environment that we've seen in the twentieth and twenty-first century would uh, uh, naturally have have health effects. So I'm I'm you know I'm I'm quite interested in, in what
1: she's writing and what she's turning up. Speaking what of Priance well, speaking of Priance Well, going back to Dr. Senev, this autism part, I asked her this question. I said, if by the year 2025, 50% of all people, or she says children, but if all people, and and even uh, Dr. Suzanne Humphreys agrees, in the future, if it's going to be 50%, it means that either you will be taking care of me or I will be taking care of you. Because unless you are an autistic person who can perform and have a, almost a normal life, if what's coming ahead is the way that she's portraying, societal collapse is unavoidable. But let me just talk about prance disease for a moment, uh, if you want to call it that way. I've had a lot of people who have written to me, and honestly, I couldn't believe this when they say, I'm not vaccinated, my wife is not vaccinated, but we had a relative who stayed with us for one week, and all of a sudden... They started developing this condition. They could not explain what it was. And it immediately subsided a day after the visitor left. I keep hearing this more and more. And I say that I believe it now because a few weeks ago, I went to a social gathering and I know that everybody there was, it had the stinger except my wife and I. But hours after I left, it's almost as if I had, some kind of crawler animal in my brain, my blood pressure which I do not suffer from high blood pressure, went super spike high and it was only a day or two and then I went back to normal. So I wonder unconsciously what these people are spreading. What do you think? You are muted. Sorry about that. Yeah, you muted yourself. That's okay.
2: I do unmute for a second. Um, Well, the, the 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 People shed, people who are vaccinated shed. Yes. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's a matter of fact. So if people are being, you know, vaccinated with this mRNA uh, vaccine and, and uh, I mean, they'll shed, right? So, so you could very well have experienced uh, the effects of that. Um, my understanding is the shedding doesn't go on forever. You know that there's a limited time period in which people uh, seem to 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 shed after being vaccinated. but it's it's uh, I'm so sorry you went through that.
1: Um, well, I, I know that I have natural immunity. And uh, according to the CDC, based on a FOIA request, they say that they haven't been able to find one single person who has contracted covid nineteen. After acquiring national immunity, natural immunity by getting the virus, they the CDC says that now. So natural immunity matters, folks.
2: Yeah. Well, you know I have some anecdotal um, uh, stories. There's a fellow here uh, where I'm living in southern Mexico who was originally from well originally from Austria and then lived for many many years in San Francisco and and he got the uh, the Chinese vaccine which is not an mRNA vaccine right they had they had different ones sort of offered down here and so he was vaccinated and then I didn't see him I mean he was vaccinated six months ago and recently I didn't see him for a while and then he comes strolling up the street and said, Hey, I just got over COVID. And yeah, he said, I went to the doctor and made sure that it really was a yeah, I had COVID. So he got vaccinated and got COVID. Like Ugh. well but well that's not that's not uh, very heartening, you know. And then unfortunately, um I was living um next to uh, some uh, relatives of my landlady and uh, most of the relatives of my landlady were sort of uh, sketchy about this vaccine and didn't really want to get it but uh one of her her older relative well older i think she was about 65 decided to get the vaccine and within two months came down with covid went to the hospital and died so you know i mean how unfortunate really Uh, how unfortunate these stories keep persisting. And so, you know, we're wondering this vaccine, which some people are are insisting, isn't even a vaccine. They're calling it gene therapy. therapy, Um, uh, You know, it's not protecting people from getting sick. Um, It's not protecting people from dying. Um, so, so why the heck should you take it?
1: (laughs) That's the $1 million question that most people with an ounce of brain would connect the dots. If he has a less than 1% chance of of killing you and especially children, I get it adults. I'm not going to judge you anymore. I know many of you have been vaccinated and listen to me. You may have your own reasons. I don't judge you. But when it comes to children, especially the little children, I even saw a parent the other day posting a picture proudly displaying their four-year-old and they're saying publicly on social media, we had to falsify our child's birth certificate so that she could get the vaccine at the age of four instead of five. See, that concerns me when I see that kind of stuff. They're playing Russian roulette. It's an experiment. We don't know anything about this yet. There are no ingredients being portrayed, uh, you know, displayed. If you're a baker, Janet, if you're a baker, or I am a baker, we need to know exactly every single ingredient that we put into, say, our pastries. Because if anyone gets some kind of an allergy and we didn't tell them, we are liable. But when you go to a doctor and you ask, "Wait, wait, 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 before you inject me, Tell me what you're injecting me with. And they will say, well, I don't know. I don't have the ingredients yet. And if something happens to me, can I go after you? Nope. Can I go after the manufacturer? Nope. Can I go after the government? No. So if that's the case, it's nothing but coercion. But let me say this before we take a one and only break. And here's something important that MD and radio host Dr. Rima Labo. Speculated on the intentionality behind this ostensible chemical siege against our gray matter. She believes that the impetus may be to create an entire class of autistic individuals who will be suited only for certain types of work. That said, I want to get your reaction when we come back. How come people buy the book and other, your other book, Exile, by the way, which doesn't seem to be that uh, available out there, is it?
2: Uh no. it's only available on the bookpatch.com. Um Amazon has apparently declined to
1: <sighs> I be- suspected that.
2: Yeah. My pandemic book which is at the breaking point of history how decades of US duplicity enabled the pandemic is available on Amazon and should shortly again be available at the publisher, which is Trine Day. Right now it appears to be sold out on Trine Day, but I am told that shortly it will be again available there.
1: Excellent. Well, folks, don't go anywhere because we are diving into the rabbit hole deeper now when we come back in part two. My special guest today is is Janet Phelan,
3: and this is Mel Hostelric. You are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part. Of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS cbd pure hemp oil pure organic sulfur flash drives with all our sanitas and veritas seasons and other great products and if you're listening on youtube like subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available now proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview you don't want to miss it thank you for listening to veritas because you don't want to believe you want to know